I need to give myself the space to really throw things around in my brain and sit with things. And sometimes it doesn't mean that I'm like actively sitting there thinking about it, but it just means that I'm kind of going about my day and I'm like, oh, that would be an interesting way of talking about this. And when you have those moments, jot them down. Welcome to Let It Out with me, your host, Katie Dalebout. This week, I speak with Mina Harris, a extremely impressive person. She's a lawyer, founder, and CEO of Phenomenal, a organization that brings awareness to various social causes. She's a best-selling children's author. She's a mom. She's ambitious and phenomenal herself in her work with social change and empowerment. And this is maybe in her blood. She's the niece, very famously, of Vice President-elect Kamala Harris and the daughter of Kamala's sister, Maya Harris, who's a civil rights lawyer and a public policy advocate who once led the nation's largest ACLU affiliate. Impressive family line Mina comes from. Mina herself is so genuine and really cool in this interview. We talk about her first book, which is based off of her mom and her aunt, and it's called Kamala and Maya's Big Idea, which she published a little bit ago. And then her second book, Ambitious Girl, just came out, and we speak about that as well. We also talk about inspiration and her creative process, as well as writing a book, a children's book, organizing, catching ideas. And we get into the need for more inclusion within children's literature and how she saw that gap and mended it with putting her books into the world. We spoke about community building and the importance of spreading information. There's a line in her first book, no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. We speak about that and motherhood and friendship, being an only child raised by successful, powerful women, and a lot more. I'm really excited for you to hear this episode and learn more about Mina. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know a bit about me, but what I do sometimes when these are shorter episodes like this one with Mina today is I'll talk about something in the intro. And I made a post on social media, (laughs) Instagram, 2020, like I said last week, ripe for the picking with lessons. (laughs) So I'm going to read through a few more of them. The one I left off on last week was talking about how much privilege I have. And the lesson is just to keep learning and listening and changing and taking action, which is so relevant to my conversation you're about to hear with Mina. And you know what? Actually, let's just get into my conversation with Mina right now. And if you want to hear the rest of these lessons, you can stick around at the end. I will share them there. And I'm so grateful that you're here. If you want to 
continue listening and go into the archive, I would love that. I'll recommend some episodes at the end. And I am just grateful for this community and enjoy this conversation with Mina Harris. Thank you so much for doing this, Mina. I'm really excited to talk to you and and get to know you more. Thanks for having me. So how are you doing right now? You have a second book coming out. So much is going on in the world and in your family. (laughs) And just we're recording this as we're wrapping up the year. I would just love to know where you're at mental health-wise, self-care-wise. What's going on with you? (laughs) That's a big question. I appreciate you asking. I think it's important for us to do that. So thank you. And just remind ourselves to like ask each other how we're doing. I, you know, I've been saying I'm exhausted. My house is a mess. <laughs> My partner sent me, I don't know if you've seen that. Um, I think it was either the cover of the New Yorker or it was a cartoon of the woman sitting at her desk doing a Zoom and she's all, you know, dressed up and looks put together. And then you can see the room around her and it's like, you know, old Chinese food box to her left and like just a mess on the floor. And he said it to me the other night because I looked exactly like that. (laughs) I was like, oh God, I feel attacked. Uh, It was so perfect. So I'm living through that. Like I think a lot of us are and just trying to like, you know, make it work and take it day by day and and deal with the fact that, you know, we're living through a a pandemic. Uh, But on the other hand, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm happy. I'm healthy. I feel frankly relieved. You know, um, there's this just cloud, I think weighing on, you know, all of us and on top of everything with the election. And so I just feel relief coming out of that. So, you know, all of the things, but, um, (laughs) I don't know how well I'm doing on self-care. I think what I've, what I've learned and gotten better at is just like being aware of if I'm not doing a great job or if I'm approaching burnout or, you know, pushing myself too hard, but I've never been great at like really sticking to a routine around that. Frankly, I'm just not really good at routines generally. So I think that's what's going on there. But, um, you know, just like trying when I, when I am thinking about it and, and trying to remind myself, you know, doing something no matter like how small. And so celebrating my little wins of like drinking a lot of water and hydrating in, in any given day or like, you know, doing my Peloton for 30 minutes sometimes, you know, we're able to like do these little things. And I think that that's enough and I need to like recognize that. So that's where I am. Mm, How about you? How are you? Oh, that's so nice. Um, Mostly good. I mean, it's just been such a strange year for, for everyone. I also, I was traveling during the, the beginning of this and then accidentally moved from New York to LA in March. So I've heard so many stories like that. Yeah. I feel like, you know, this would have been a weird year anyway for me. And so I think it's just like everyone kind of met me where I was at, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. and beyond. But I really liked what you said about one thing at a time. Like, are there any things other than Peloton and water and like anything else that has become an anchor for you to take care of yourself lately? Not to be cliche, because I think everybody's doing it, but cooking has been a huge thing for me. Um, it's always something that I've loved, but just never sort of made the time for it. And I learned, you know, again, everybody's been baking and obviously we're all at home. And for that reason, I was obviously doing it more, but really discovered how sort of therapeutic it was for me. 
So being better at deciding like, okay, I'm going to cook a meal. And if it means that I don't get through my email inbox tonight, like that's fine. Cause I know this is just as important for me. Um, so that's been a big one. I think just also being, you know, mindful of having this time, frankly, to be more at home with my kids and really enjoying that and, and, you know, soaking that up. And even if it's again, just like grabbing, 15 minutes with them in a, mor- in, in a morning, you know, when I would have otherwise been rushing out the door or just these other small sort of pockets. I, I'm just sort of taking it wherever I can get it and, you know, appreciating that. And again, just trying to be mindful of it. I think the other thing is just when we talk about, I guess, practices and, you know, lessons, just letting go. I mentioned my house is a mess and it drives me nuts sometimes. And, you know, I basically can sort of like only clean up on weekends. And so it feels like I'm working all week long. And then it's like, yay, it's the weekend. Now I get to clean my whole fucking house. <laughs> Excuse my language. But um, also just like letting go and understanding that I may not get through hanging up all of the clean clothes on Saturday and it may go into the next week or the next week. <laughs> or, and it's just like, you know what? I can only take on so much and that's fine. Um, and, and just sort of being at peace with that, I think. I've gotten better at that too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I think it's important to just have us all feel less alone in this, you know, like we're all doing our best and there's always another thing and Mm -hmm. the work will, the emails will be there. The people always won't and the time always Mm -hmm. won't. So it's like prioritizing, I guess, but that word doesn't like do it justice. (laughs) Like it's hard (laughs) to do. Yeah, Um, totally. So that's like what's been going on with you now, but we always start, from the beginning on, on this podcast. So where are you from? What were you like as a kid? Oh, wow. Um, I'm from Oakland, California. Very proud to be Oakland born and raised. Also a proud Bay Area kid. I, I think if you knew me as a kid or if I were to sort of really tell you who I was as a kid, I'd, I think it would be completely unsurprising in terms of like who I am as an adult which is also just kind of fascinating now to be a parent and to realize like, oh, they're sort of like, this is who they are. The, the personalities, you know, show themselves early and uh, it, it's, it's really um, true to who they are and who they turn out to be, which is just like so amazing. I was very, you know, active and precocious and um, opinionated, strong-willed, creative. I think that's a huge one that I, I think about a lot. Um, something that I've known really early on as a kid was that I was a a creative. And the thing that's been interesting for me sort of on my entrepreneurial journey is, is kind of discovering what the sort of ultimate manifestation of that uh, would be. And, you know, as a kid, I spent like all my summers in art camps. I was doing a lot of visual art stuff. There was a summer program in, in Oakland where you had like a morning session you know, from like nine to 12. And then you had an afternoon session from one to four and you did like two week sessions, either or right for two weeks throughout the summer. (laughs) I did morning and afternoon for every single session throughout the entire summer. So I was like this, you know, art kid, I danced um, as a dancer. And, you know, as I kind of went about my, you know, education and, and career, I always knew that was in me, but it sort of, you know, I express, it came out in different ways and it's, it's kind of wild to now, sort of come full circle where, you know, I, I don't think that I'm like my best skill and sort of strong suit as a visual artist, even though I did a lot of that, it wasn't like, you know, I was a fine paper, painter, a fine, you know, I could draw well, but like, I wasn't super good at it. <laughs> but what I've now discovered sort of on this journey is that there, you know, are other creative things such as, you know, what I'm doing, building a brand and 
marketing and messaging. And that's also just tapping into my creativity, um, something that I've known since I was a kid. I grew up in a family of, you know, I guess I'd summarize it as, you know, strong women, activists, and lawyers. So as I said, I was pretty strong-willed and opinionated, argumentative, not afraid to, you know, challenge things. So yeah, I think it's it's kind of stayed true to, you know, who I am today. I also think a lot of it has to do with the family I was raised in. And, you know, I credit a lot of my perspective and obviously, you know, who I am um, to being raised in that family. Yeah. I heard you say in another podcast that you're an only child and you grew up around mostly adults. And I really smiled when I heard that because I'm also an only child. And I often make this joke that I don't think is like funny and maybe doesn't make sense, but I'm always like, oh, I was, I grew up on an adult farm because I didn't have any cousins my age. I wasn't Mm -hmm. really around children at all. And I didn't grow up with a, a dad around that lived with me. So it was all these women and all these adults. And I think that that definitely shaped me. Like I didn't mm-hmm. really feel comfortable around other kids. And even like what you were saying about the day camp thing, it's like I was always in day camps and I was always in all the aftercare before because they just like needed me to be occupied, you know, but I never exactly. really connected there. I, I, yeah, and I'm very comfortable. I think I'm very socially inept and maybe to a fault. And I wonder if that's because of, you know, when you're the only kid around, you're, you're taking in a lot of dynamics of adults. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I relate to that for sure. And that's right. I've, I've joked that I'm, you talk about the, like the adult farm where I've said that I was like a super only child. Cause uh, to your point, I, same thing. I didn't really have like a ton of other kid cousins, my age. Um, and it was just sort of me and all these adults. But yeah, I think also it was just, I think it was a matter of circumstance. I also think that it was frankly just like a parenting, you know, style, which was like, we don't coddle children. There was no such thing as a kiddie table. You know, I was always at the adult table and and engaged in sort of adult conversations and expected to partake or at least, you know, listen. And I think it's something that I definitely, whether or not it was mostly circumstance or it was actually, you know, intentional. And as I said, I think it was both. It's something that I definitely carry with me now in, in my own parenting where, it's different, right? I have two kids. They have each other. <laughs> they're, they're pretty close in age. They do have other, you know, cousins and playmates and other kids that are in their, in their family and in their lives. But I also challenge them to, you know, have well-reasoned sort of conversations, right? As reasoned as a, a four-year-old can be. And by the way, you'd be shocked. <laughs> they, they're pretty smart, right? I think we underestimate kids' ability to understand the world and, you know, their sort of unfiltered insights are often things that I'm learning from. So it's something that I've definitely adopted in my own parenting because I I just see that it really, in my opinion, at least a great way to sort of raise critically thinking, curious kids. Yeah. I think that being an only child has has really shaped me. I, I have several friends who are only children. Do you as well? No, like I can't point to, I can't make that statement. Mm-hmm. Like I know that when I, when I realize it, I'm like, oh, we're, you know, we're both only yeah. children, but no, I don't think that I necessarily gravitated Gravitate, to other, yeah. yeah, or have like a bunch of others. Certainly I do, but I wouldn't say that it was like a thing yeah. necessarily. Well, I guess I'm, I'm constantly thinking that it's, because a lot of people talk about birth order and that being a defining characteristic and people's personality, yeah. like you're a middle child. And, and then I was just kind of like, well, I can't participate in that, but <laughs> 
I guess for me, I think being an only child, I, a friend of mine who's also an only child, she whenever I'm talking to her about my feelings or whatever's going on, she's always, oh yeah, only child. Like, oh, that's because you're only child. Like she always says it. So has it become, is there yeah. anything other than what you shared that you think is a defining characteristic for you of growing up as an only child? Yeah. I, people tell me that all the time, not being good at sharing or not being good at like the sharing space. And I'm definitely somebody who I'm okay being alone. I, I like being alone. I like having personal space. I joke that I'm like secretly an introvert. The people find that surprising just given what you might see sort of on the outside. But I like that solitude. I, I'm, I can entertain myself. <laughs> yeah. um, so there are things like that that I think I've definitely heard. Whether or not, you know, they're all sort of true. I think some of it is obviously, again, just like, family dynamic, parenting, right? Like just personality, I think as well. I mean, you talked about, I think you said this, but having like single, you know, mom or or family, right? Of of all women, you know, people were working and I didn't, you know, I I wasn't coddled. I didn't have sort of, you know, um, constant. I mean, on the one hand, I did have constant attention because I was like the only kid, right? But on the other, like I was expected to be able to entertain myself and like keep myself busy, right? And not have my mom... Or, or grandmother or aunt like hovering over me all the time because they simply couldn't, right? Like they were busy, they were working um, because they had to do that to take care of our family. It's just interesting to think about how it takes, you know, different forms and how that shapes your outlook and, and even personality. But again, I, I think even with my own kids, like one of them is much more expects attention and she really likes older kids and hanging out with adults and is like very curious and is constantly asking questions and it's sort of, I mean, she's just such a character. And then, you know, the, the second one, the younger one is, is very different and she will go in a corner and play with like her, you know, Daniel Tiger toys for hours uninterrupted. It, it just, it's, it's so interesting. And I think in terms of parenting, I think there are sort of universal lessons and, and ways in which I think we can all sort of think about raising our kids around basic things like empathy and compassion problem solving, right? Being self-sufficient, but also flexing to sort of their personalities, right? And so if one of them is sort of more independent or can go in a corner by herself because that's what she wants to do to go play with her Legos, not saying, why aren't you playing with your sister? Don't you want to play with your sister? Like leave her alone and let her do her thing. (laughs) Like, yeah, it's good to, you know, help to build that relationship between the two of them, which we do also. But just, you know, recognizing that And it's something that I learned, I think, from other parents sort of along the way and things that I've heard, again, which I'm so fascinated by as an only child, because I'm like, how do you do this? Like the whole concept of, you know, siblings, other than seeing it through my mom and aunt is is kind of foreign to me. But, you know, this idea that like forcing your kids to play a sport, right, or or both of them to do the same thing, like they're different people, right? Like you can't just sort of apply the same one size fits all to, to your kids, right? And you have to really think about that and, 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 and really think about parenting them as individuals. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so interesting. Like I too have trouble understanding sibling dynamics or sibling fighting, I guess, because I, and it sounds like not to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you were kind of raised this way too, where, you know, I, my mom always says like raised by a village, you know, like bouncing around between my aunts and my grandma and, I would see my mom and sisters, I still to this day argue and fight and then be like hugging and snuggling on the couch 10 minutes later. I'm like, I don't do that with my friends. Like, you know, like I don't go that big into fights. And I also don't 
you know, make up that quickly, but there's something, I think it's, I'm realizing that I have some attachment issues because I don't, where I get very close to people very quickly and I, I'm very loyal. And I think that is because there's something like no one, the, you don't have that like blood history relationship mm-hmm. with, with someone of your generation um, or someone to like process your childhood with, you know? And I think that that is the interesting part of being an adult only child. Yeah, it's interesting. I think for me, I, my grandmother had an interesting experience coming to the United States by herself and starting her family here on, on her own. And therefore the sort of concept of second family, extended family, chosen family was a big thing for us and, and emphasized. And so to the point you're making, I think, you know, through her experience, not, you know, as an only child, but instead as somebody coming here to the United States by herself and, and sort of building her, her own family and network of, of friends and community and others. I think that was something that was in that way, you know, emphasized to me as, as important, right. Having yeah. those meaningful connections and relationships, understanding that you may not be blood related, but if you have that sort of meaningful community that those people are family and should be treated as family yeah. and celebrated as family. So that's something that is, is really important to me. And yeah. Um, was you know something that was emphasized not only through my grandmother's perspective, but also her coming here and being a part of the civil rights movement. And so my perspective on, again, doing good in your community and caring about your community, fighting for your community, that was all sort of through her perspective and emphasizing what was really about loving your community, right? And that started with these really deep, significant lifelong friendships and relationships with, you know, people who I called my, my aunties and my uncles, right. And my sort of extended family here. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And it's about community, which is your first children's book, which I love so much. I gave it to my friend Val for her daughter and she said it's her favorite book, but it's about creativity and storytelling, but it's really about collaboration and community. And there's, Mm -hmm this mantra in the book that I'm hoping you can talk about and how, you know, I think that's really connected to what you were just speaking of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The sort of central line in the book is no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. And, oh, sorry, you're talking about my first book, right? Yeah. (laughs) I got two books now. Sometimes I forget. The second one is coming out next month. Yeah. The first book for sure. And thank you. I appreciate the support. Many people, you know, before reading it, I think might assume that it's about Maya and Kamala, these two girl leaders, and it absolutely is, but you're exactly Can right. Can you as tell well. the story of where, what it was inspired by? It was inspired by a true story from the childhood of my mom and aunt, and it's about these two sisters who spot a problem in their eyes in their apartment complex and decide that they're going to do something about it. And uh, to your point, you know, it's really, yes, about having these two girls as the leaders and the perspective through whom you're, you're seeing, you know, the story unfold, but it is, it's really about community and it's about, you know, community organizing. It's about making positive change in your community. And most importantly, it's about leaning on your community for help and to make that change uh, and to, you know, do good with each other. And so it's in that way also about coalition building, right? And understanding that we're, we're stronger together and there's power in, in community. So that, that message of no one can do everything, but everyone can do something is really about, yes, the individual, right? That 
none of us can save the world on our own, but each of us can do something no matter how small. And when each of us decides to do that and decides to do something and to give a damn, there's power in that. And when one person does it, the next person does it, and the next person does it, the next person does it, the next person does it. And that's how you make positive change. That's how you start movements, right? That's how you build power and have impact. That's really what the overarching message is about. And it's through, you know, the perspective of of children. And it's also the point that this sort of change and engaging with and participating in that sort of work can be small. It can be in your backyard. It can be in your apartment complex, right? And so I think that message is is relevant, frankly, not only to kids, but adults. The big secret (laughs) and joke about it is that through, you know, phenomenal and the other work that I've been doing, I, I literally had a speech that had that line in it. No one can do everything, but everyone can do something. And it was a speech that I was giving to adults and I just put it in a kid's book. And part of it was, you know, we're kind of coming out of that, you know, 2016 election and this kind of new political era that we've all been in. And it's because I had adults coming to me saying, you know, what else can I do? How else can I make a difference and have an impact? And that's literally what I, what I was telling people, right? So I think it's something that all of us can really take something away. And I think for parents, especially in this moment coming out of the BLM protests, right? Going into this new administration, you know, how do we think about these conversation starters, building blocks, tools to really instill those those values and encourage the, the next generation? Yeah. You mentioned phenomenal women. Can you talk about that and your career at that point and how that came to be and what it is? Yeah. So Phenomenal is a female powered brand platform that raises awareness around issues that affect underrepresented communities. And it started off, I mean, it's sort of like I had a a little idea and then turned into a big idea referencing my book, but it's true. It It was never supposed to be, frankly, anything more than a one month fundraising campaign coming out of the 2016 election. I think like a lot of people... Um, as we just talked about, I think, you know, I, I decided in that moment, you know, that I, I needed to do something and I had made little t-shirts before and decided, well, why don't I just make some cool shirts that I think are interesting and we can sell them and raise money for women's organizations. If you remember back then in early 2017, there were tons of people, you know, starting with the women's March, of course, but, or actually, frankly, starting with the the Muslim ban, which uh, I believe was in Jan- yeah in uh, January no, I take that back. Obviously, inauguration had to have happened first. So it was Women's March, you know, followed by the Muslim ban. I mean, followed by, obviously, it's just sort of floodgates of just things for people to support in terms of, you know, what what the administration was doing so early. People were hosting personal fundraisers for the ACLU and, you know, Planned Parenthood. Uh, and, I, and we wanted to be a part of that, right? And so we made a handful of shirts and I sent them with friends to the Women's March and they got good feedback. And I thought, okay, let's, you know, make this into a little fundraising campaign. And on the first day, it just totally blew up. And I think at that moment, I brought to the table two core perspectives, which which are being a community organizer as well as an entrepreneur, right? And I saw that it was clearly resonating with people. And I thought, you know, how can we keep this going? How can we reach more people? How can we grow this as big as it can possibly get? And so one month turned into three months, turned into six months. And I really, I look back remembering like, looking at my calendar, like, okay, it's, it's, it's January. How do we get to March? How do we get to the next month? And now it's been over, you know, three and a half 
years and it's it's become so much more than that one t-shirt. And as I said, now it's really about raising awareness around issues that affect underrepresented communities with a specific focus on women of color, communities of color. And we're now a product and, and content company really thinking about, you know, how do we take these issues and distill them and make them accessible to mass audiences to raise awareness around issues and causes that, you know, frankly, folks might may not otherwise be aware of, may not be engaging with, but doing it in a way that is concrete. It may seem, you know, insignificant, a, a phrase on a t-shirt, but we, what we realized is, is that there was power in that. And it, it allowed people to sort of have that engagement hook. And not only that, for it to become um, in many ways, kind of an engagement ladder where, you know, maybe you weren't talking about these issues before. Maybe you saw, you know, Jessica Alba wearing a, a t-shirt that you thought was cute, but, you know, once you're in the door, you're now, you know, a part of a community, right? And it means something. And maybe next year you're knocking on doors. Maybe you're, you found an issue that, you know, you're really, really passionate about and you decide to commit yourself to that. So that's the hope. And in that way, it, it's again, back to sort of the themes from the book. It really is about community and, and building power and voice and awareness through community. Yeah, I think it goes back to family and feeling less alone. And so much of, for me, I'm someone who's very malleable and influenced by my friends and the people around me. I mean, I think we all are, but I think if you want to help and and be someone who is figuring out where you can do your something, you know, I think being propelled and connected mm-hmm. to other people is such a useful way for people like me who, you know, some people are born with that activism, but I think, mm-hmm. you know, to really propel a message is like finding an issue you really care about and then, you know, letting it snowball from there. Yeah. I think it's, it's about finding that issue or issues and, and really focusing on it. I also think, and something I talk about a lot is thinking about what your personal contribution to that um, can be, right? Like I think, and, and that will take different forms for different people. For some people, it, it means, you know, running for office. For other people like me, it, it meant making a t-shirt, right? I, I think we've seen not only through, you know, the 2016 election and the 2020 election, and and frankly, most of all, I feel like I've seen it during the pandemic where people are really showing up with their, you know, personal talents and skills and perspectives and, and bringing them to these issues and engaging, you know, their own communities, their own networks in ways that are, are really, you know, meaningful. I've had some people say, well, you know, I don't, I'm not Jessica Alba. I don't have a million followers. Like who cares what I'm saying, right? Like I only have a hundred followers. And the fact is that is so much more, frankly, like no offense to Jessica, she's great. She's a friend, but like that is usually so much more effective in inspiring your your own community. Like we have so much power, right? I mean, that's what we, in terms of electoral politics, that's what, you know, we've been saying nonstop for the last few months, call your cousin, talk to your family, talk to your friends, talk to your neighbors. That is real connection. And people are watching, people are paying attention. And again, when you do something, when you show people who are interested in you or following you or looking at, you know, what you're doing, they see you speaking out, deciding to, you know, care about an issue that influences people. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you also never know like who you are influencing or impacting. And there's just incredible power in that. And as I said at the beginning, you know, you do it and the next person's like, all right, well, I saw, you know, so-and-so doing something and, and I want to, I want to do something, right. I want to, I want to use my talents or speak out. And I think you also made a really important point, which is, I think, especially in this world of just 
online communication and frankly, like trolls and all of the divisive stuff that we see online, I think some people get scared and get worried about speaking out and feeling alone. And the fact is, you know, there are incredibly powerful, supportive communities that you could be a part of, right? Who not only have been sort of on the ground doing the work, but are, you know, sources of information so that you can be informed. Um, And they're also, you know, real people who have your back and, you know, there's a way to find community in this. And on top of all that, it, it will be, in my opinion, or at least has been the case for me, you know, some of the most meaningful friendships, relationships, lifelong, you know, connections that you can really build through this work. And again, no matter sort of how small that may be, I think it's important to meet people where they are and recognize that, again, not everybody's going to you know, be able to do this full time or some people, you know, don't want to call themselves an activist or put a label on it. That's fine, right? Like do what works for you, but do something. Yeah. yeah. Last year was pretty stressful for all of us. And by pretty stressful, I think they mean extremely stressful. <laughs> but what if this year you had something that could make you feel bit less stressed and handle the ups and downs that will inevitably be thrown at us, that's Headspace. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy to use app. I love this app so much. Headspace is the only meditation app advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. Overwhelmed, there's a Headspace for that. They have a SOS three-minute meditation for you. I love that one. Do you need help falling asleep? Headspace has a wind-down session that their members swear by, including me. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost immune function, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Again, I love Headspace. I use it myself. I've been meditating a lot more for the last couple months, and honestly, I think it's been helping. They have a anxiety meditation that is my favorite. My friend Christine told me about it and I've been using it ever since. She uses the app. You guys know Christine. She's done the podcast. She's very cool. Anyway, Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits. It has so many five-star reviews, over 60 million downloads. So, you know, it's like when there's a long line for a restaurant, you know it's good. This is me telling you about the long line for Headspace, but you can get it. Headspace makes it easy for you to build a meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you and your schedule anytime, anywhere. And it really can be something that enhances your life in a way that I never really imagined, but meditation has helped me tremendously. Headspace is an app, but the only way to take advantage of their special offer just for Let It Out listeners is by directly visiting my URL. That's headspace.com slash let it out. This way you're supporting the podcast, which is really lovely. 
We all deserve to feel happier and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash let it out. That's headspace.com slash let it out for a free month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation as we've discussed. This is the best deal offered right now anywhere. So head to headspace.com slash let it out today. This episode is brought to you by Public Goods, the one-stop shop for sustainable, high-quality, everyday essentials made from clean ingredients at an affordable price. Everything from coffee to toilet paper to shampoo, pet food, Public Goods is your new everything store thoughtfully designed for the conscious consumer rather than you know having to go buy a bunch of single product brands public good members can buy all of their premium essentials in one place with beautiful streamlined packaging and a beautiful streamlined aesthetic public goods searches the globe to find clean healthy eco-friendly and innovative products. All right. I have been using so many of their products. You guys, I love their toilet paper. I love their paper towel. It's really good to just have that stuff on hand as we know right now in general, it's such a bummer to run out and you have to go to the store and you just want something good, sustainable and simple. And that's why I love the packaging on that. It's just so minimal and I keep it in my house. It's great. I also love their hand soap. Their packaging is the same for all of their products. It looks really cool. Their hand soap smells so good. Their dish soap, I'm almost out of, I need more. I'm really just reading you my list right now of the things that I got. They have this mustard. That is my favorite. It might not be what you choose to buy from them, but you know what? I love their mustard. I'm trying to think of all the other items. Their dental floss. Most everything I own is public goods at this point. And you know what? I'm not mad about it. They ethically source and obsessively develop each of their products to be free of unhealthy ingredients and harmful additives that are still common, you know, in drug and grocery store shelves. They are committed to making their products safe for humans and healthy for animals and the environment. Knowing what's in your products and where they come from is important. Small changes in the way we shop can make a really big impact on personal health and the world at large, really. They use a membership model to keep costs low and pass on even more savings to customers. So best of all, you can make your first purchase with no obligation. They plant one tree for every order placed and incorporate sustainability into every part of the company. So join hundreds of thousands of others who have switched to their new everything store. I would love for you to try them. We've worked out an exclusive deal for you, Let It Out listeners, to receive $15 off of your first public goods order with no minimum purchase. That's right. They're so confident that you will absolutely love their products and come back again and again and again that they're just giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase. 
You have nothing to lose, literally. Just go to publicgoods.com slash Katie, K-A-T-I-E, or use the code Katie, K-A-T-I-E, at checkout. That's public, P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S dot com slash Katie. That's a forward slash Katie. I want to talk about your your new book, which is called Ambitious Girl, which sounds like you are. <laughs> I would love to hear a bit about your creative process. I heard you say in another podcast that you never thought that you would necessarily write a children's book. Um, but could you talk about, yeah, your process and, and where you get I, from idea to creation and any blocks that come up between? Yeah. I, as you said, uh, of all the things that I've sort of aspired to in my life and my like bucket list of things that I want to achieve, becoming a children's book author was actually not on my list. It actually feels maybe weird to say that now because it's been such a, an incredible, fulfilling journey. But I just, uh, you know, it just wasn't sort of on my radar in that way, I guess. And rather building on everything we talked about, it was really me sort of responding in a moment and deciding that I was going to do something. <laughs> and I had a big idea and I decided to go for it. And that really influenced both of my books. But when you ask sort of, you know, what I, I guess inspired me to become an author in the first place, it was really a lot of different, I think, influences coming together at once. One was the 2016 election and this moment of sort of heightened activism and engagement and, you know, having conversations again with parents about how do we raise the next generation, right? How do we pass this on to our kids so that, you know, they show up for women's marches or, you know, get involved in, in whatever way. And as well, it was myself becoming a, a parent and asking myself those same questions and realizing that, you know, I came uh, and I come from a, a, I think what I now understand to be a pretty unique family of, you know, all these strong women that were sort of day in and day out teaching me this, showing me this, teaching by example, and thinking about how do I pass that on to my children and what better way to do that than through not only a, a really personal family story, but through books, right? I, I was, as a new parent, seeing firsthand that, you know, that's how kids learn about the world, right? In your early years, especially, it's sort of family and, and books mainly, or at least, you know, that was the case for us and, and the power of that. I don't know, I guess I said lots of motivations here, but I would say the, the third big one um, was reading books and reading sort of those, you know, classics like Good Night Moon and Where the Wild Things Are and Brown Bear. And those are, I think, iconic, wonderful pieces of children's literature, but realizing that there were often not female main characters. There were not black female characters that looked like my daughters, right? That had brown skin and curly hair. And so we would start to take a brown marker and color the skin in of characters in books oftentimes, or even more often change pronouns from he to she to they, right? Like it's still the case that most children's books have white male characters as the main characters. So I really took that up as, as sort of a personal cause, which was, you know, diversity in children's literature and representation. And again, just firsthand seeing the power of that, right? We know that you can't be what you can't see. And, and in contrast, I was understanding that my girls, when they were reading these books, they what they see is what they want to be. And when the default of what they're seeing is a little white boy or an animal, like that's not real for them. And, and there's power in them seeing themselves. 
And I also want to emphasize that there's power in other children that are, you know, not young black girls seeing that, right? And and knowing that that's possible in the world. So that became really important to me to and, and everything that I do, and you see it with the first book as well as the second book to elevate those those voices. I'll add that we made a lot of progress, and I'm proud of that. I am also thankful for incredible other you know authors of, of color, illustrators of color who've come before me and who've made it you know possible for me to put my work into the world. Uh, people like Matthew Cherry, the author of um, Hair Love, who is just incredible, and that was a big important book. There is a big important book in our house. But you know, we still have a long way to go. Just in 2018, there were more books that had animals as main characters than uh, children's books, than books that had Black, Indigenous, uh, Latinx, Asian, human characters combined. And I can't quote them off the top of my head, but the statistics for you know authors of color, illustrators of color, the entire publishing industry—it's it's all the same. We have a lot of work to do. So. That's super important to me. My second book, likewise, is it's a little black girl who is the main character and it's through whom you are seeing the the world. And I think it's super important for, for all of us to see that. I think it's it's especially important for um, children of color to, to see that and to see themselves represented on the pages of books. I love that. With writing and having an idea how do you collect your ideas? Like when you got the idea for the first book or the second book, do you write things in your phone? Was it from a conversation? I'd love to know a bit more about your process. Kind of everywhere. Um, I'm trying to learn about... I've been on this traditional path for a long time and the creative path is is new in terms of that being like my full-time thing. So I'm still learning every day just like how I work as a creative and it means that, yeah, I have handwritten notes. I have like draft in my email. I have notes in my phone. I have uh, Google Docs. It's sort of all over the place. So I think that's just kind of my creative process. In general, I tend to, um, you know, put, I, I'm organized enough to like have things in a Google Doc usually and often will sort of outline my thoughts there. With my first book, it was it was actually much more visual for me in many ways. And that was kind of interesting about the creative process that the final product kind of stayed more true to my own like sketches and and visual visualization of it than the text. And that was also just again part of becoming, you know, a kids book author for the first time and, and learning, you know, sort of, you know, how do you speak to the audience, what resonates. And and for me that, you know, was kind of walking back my <laughs> training as a lawyer and being verbose and writing too much. And there was just too much text. And we had to kind of cut a lot of that down. But I would say that, again, back to sort of really understanding that I think I'm a creative first and foremost. Um, I think the visual part of it was, was huge for me. And um, I'm really grateful to, for both of my books. I've just incredible, uh, not only you know, just brilliant, talented illustrators, also women of color, both are Latina, but they were just collaborative and, and patient with me and you know, really um, brought the stories to life in beautiful ways and, and, and worked with me to get it right, right? To get the details right, whether it's the hair texture or, you know, what the other, you know, sort of supporting characters look like. They have been incredibly patient and supportive and and talented. So I'm so grateful for them. Mm, I love that. So let's do the rest as quick fire questions. But what would you say, first of all, to someone who wants to write a children's book? Do you have any advice for, or writers in general? 
Yeah, just write. I mean, just if you have a thought, if you have sort of a moment of like, oh, I just had a really interesting thing, the thought about something, like just write it down anywhere. And that's sort of, at least for me, my process, it speaks to, you know, being in my 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 phone notes or sending an email to myself because I at least that's how I work where if I have that moment I, I have to jot it down or think frankly it kind of vanishes from my brain. Yeah. I also again I mean this is so just depends on the person and is so personal. But for me I've also learned to just like let things percolate as well. I have always joked that and I'm sure a lot of us do that like I'm a procrastinator and I wait to the last minute, right, for in school and other settings to sort of, you know, meet deadlines and things like that. And what I've come to understand is, yes, maybe I have a little bit of that in me, but part of it is like, I need to give myself the space to really throw things around in my brain and sit with things. And sometimes it doesn't mean that I'm like actively sitting there thinking about it, but it just means that I'm kind of going about my day and I'm like, oh, that would be an interesting way of talking about this. Or, oh, I just had a memory that would be a good sort of illustration point. And again, when you have those moments, like jot them down. But I think we put pressure um, on ourselves to like sit down with a blank piece of paper and just get it all out. And by the way, in terms of my process, that does often happen, but it doesn't necessarily happen when I want it to, right? Like sometimes maybe I'll say, I want to spend Saturday writing, writing about, you know, whatever thing I'm working on. And it's just like not coming out or like the connections are not getting made in my head and it's frustrating. And then, you know, a week goes by and then I kind of have a breakthrough. I'm like, oh shit, I got it. And I just like dump it all onto a piece of paper. (laughs) And by the way, that actually was my process for uh, my first book in particular, where um, there was a day where I was just like, oh, I got it. And then I just like dumped it all on paper. And then, you know, we kind of use that to work it into what ended up becoming the the final draft of the book. So I think my, my best advice is do what works for you you may not be able to do something all at once or sort of on the timeline that you want. But if you have an idea or if you want to write, just find those moments wherever you can find them and wherever you find that inspiration and keep track of them. And who knows, one day, maybe it they'll, you know, will become a book or an essay or, you know, frankly, maybe you'll scrap some of the stuff that you wrote, but it'll help to inform other ideas, right? It's sort of like workshopping and become sort of like building blocks for something else. And I guess for me, part of it is I, because I've written things down in so many places, it's just like staying organized and that's hard for sure. And for me, Google Docs have really worked to just have one place where it's even just like a messy sort of running living document of just like shit that pops into your head and just like jotting down, jotting down whatever you can when you, when it comes to mind. Yeah. We talk about, I was going to say organization that too, but we talk about creativity a ton on this podcast. And I think so much of creativity comes down to organization and catching the ideas. So I really love mm-hmm. that. Was the process for Ambitious Girl different? No, not entirely. Um, I had sort of this just like the light bulb went off and then I, you know, kind of like raced to my laptop and just dumped out every possible thing that I was thinking of and started to kind of organize it and outline it. And what's interesting, kind of to what I just said, it is not at all what the old, the final product looks like, but that process helped to inform what it, what it looked like. Um, an example I'll give is the, the second book is, is, um, lyrical, it rhymes. And I did not like sit down and think I'm going to write a lyrical thing. And it's, I, I need to rhyme words together and it's going to rhyme like at all. But what I did do is there was more moments where I was thinking about sort of like 
an anthem and I had these notes around like, I'm so ambitious. And I was literally like singing them in my head and like shouting them <laughs> in my house. Um, it was a funny little moment. We were actually staying with my, my parents at the time and I came running downstairs. Like I, I we're going to, this is going to become an anthem and kids are going to like be shouting this in, you know, gymnasiums. And you know, it was like this huge thing. And then none of it went into the book. <laughs> Maybe I'll bring it back for some like hype video or music video or something. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I didn't erase my notes. They're still sitting there and maybe something will come of them. But like, it helped me to really ultimately like workshop into, you know, what became the book, which yes, borrowed from that, you know, but didn't, wasn't the final product. You know, it'd be interesting to see, I'm doing more books. It'll be interesting to see what the sort of process for the next ones is. But so far it's kind of following a similar path of, I kind of just dump a bunch of things into a doc and then, workshop them. And I have to say back to the topic of like community and support. A lot of it is asking friends and family, you know, what do you think about this? Or does this resonate with you? Or what's your feedback and having, you know, other, um, incredibly talented, you know, people involved who who have helped me, you know, my, my editor, my publisher. And so I don't know if, if you're, you know, often speak to authors or aspiring authors in particular, but that has definitely been key to my process is not only you know, having uh, that supportive community, but finding a team that is collaborative, that's what you need, or, you know, finding sort of, you know, what, what works for you, depending on your creative process. Yeah. Yeah. And it's different every time too. I loved what you said a, a little bit ago about when you're like, yeah, Saturday at two is going to be my, my day to write, but like it might not come then. And you have to just, yeah, it's, it's fleeting and it's unpredictable. And I, I think that's why mm-hmm. it, it's so beautiful. And great but it's also yeah it's like creativity and love and these things that are make life wonderful are not mm-hmm. controllable <laughs> you know mhm mhm yep exactly okay so i would love to hear what you're most excited about lately i am most excited about donald trump not being president <laughs> i am most excited about building my business full-time. I just left sort of the corporate. I hopped off the, the corporate treadmill only this past June. And so feeling sort of complete liberation to just pursue my creative ideas, you know, again, whether it's through Phenomenal or my kids' books and just having that space is extremely exciting for me. It's yeah. scary, but I'm doing it and it's not easy, but it is incredibly gratifying. And, and so I'm excited about that. Um, I'm excited about my kids and they're just amazing and funny and loving and kind. And they're growing up fast. Just excited about spending time with them and celebrating who they are and, and their interests and getting to observe and experience that is is really exciting so much. I think it's important to, to pause and think about what are those things that we are celebrating or that we're excited about. Totally. Who inspires you lately other than your, your kids? I have so many people that inspire me in different ways. I think what the easy one I suppose would be my aunt, but I won't choose her (laughs) for this. One of my best friends is a journalist. She is an expert in criminal justice and um, in particular around prosecutor accountability and power. And we knew each other before law school and, and we're good friends before law school, but then happened to go to law school together. 
And it's just been extraordinary to watch her on her own journey of figuring out, you know, what her passion is and the different forms that that has taken. And, you know, she's in the process right now of writing her own book and just had a baby. And I just, I feel like so many of my friends and other women in my life are just like doing so much, (laughs) raising kids and pursuing their passions and being great supportive friends and, you know, being great parents. And like, those are the people that inspire me. But yeah, she in particular, as I've just watched with such admiration as she's been on this journey and is just sort of, in, in my opinion, and lots of people's opinion, just one of the most brilliant thinkers um, of our generation. It's just been so awesome and and something that it really excites me to think about, you know, what her, she's already doing great things, but you know, what her future will look like. Because um, mm. I think that it's really, really big. Yeah. So that really gives me a lot of inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. She sounds, I think being inspired by our friends is, is really cool and, you know, so important right now and always and propelling each other. And yeah, it's, it's really cool. Okay. Best thing you've eaten in the last week. I made T-bone steaks last night and really have gotten into, and if I don't say so myself, have gotten really good at (laughs) making steaks during the pandemic. And I just, they're so good. So that's the best thing I've eaten recently. Greatest lesson on relationships? Listen. Okay. So the name of the show is Let It Out. Is there anything else that you want to let out? Anything that you wish that I would have asked or that you never get to talk about? I think just in this moment with the pandemic, I just always want to remind people that we're in a pandemic and this is not normal. It is hard. All of us are you know, experiencing grief and tragedy and unhappiness on different levels. And um, you know, I think disappointment, everything. And I sometimes worry that podcasts like, you know, this, we're talking about career and inspiration. It just makes people feel pressure. And I want to make sure that people don't feel that and know that life is long and we will get through this. It's not going to be easy. The road ahead is, um, you know, I think it's going to be a long road to recovery, but just be kind to yourself let go of, of things that are not in your control. That is what I have learned, frankly, in, in some ways, in the hard way <laughs> over the, the course of this pandemic and just stick with it, um, but do it in a way that, that works for you and don't get sort of you know stuck in, I think, what are these artificial standards for success or productivity or whatever other like bullshit things that we pressure ourselves around. Yeah. <laughs> Those yeah. are my party words. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much for being here and everything that you shared and congrats on your second book and your first book. And it was really nice talking with you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Can we end with the let it out deep breath? Oh, of course. Yes. Okay. So inhale, let it out. (sighs) Thank Thank you. you (laughs) Thank you so much. Take care. That was my conversation with Mina Harris recorded just before the new year, follow her and support her. She's clearly very impressive and creative and cool. All right, now I'm going to get into the rest of these lessons. So, okay, we talked about my privilege. The next thing I really learned in in 20, not to gloss over that, that's like the, the biggest one. But one thing that I learned was a tough pill to swallow like a lot of these were but 
that I will never be mysterious and instead I should focus on the qualities that I do have, which are that I make people feel comfortable, sometimes at my own expense. And what I mean by that is, you know, I am warm and not cool, you know? And I think when I feel tension and I I can be very non-threatening to the point where I don't really even exist and I don't feel like myself. And I, I think a lot of people can relate to that feeling and it's uncomfortable, but I'm, I'm trying to be more perceptive and listen and focus on what I do have and not what I'm never going to have or be good at. That was one tough pill that I swallowed, a lesson, if you will. All right. The next one on this list is not everything you try works. And the sooner you can call it and pivot on what does, the more progress you can make. I mean, that's essentially the point I was making before of focusing on what does work. And when something doesn't work, acknowledge it. And even if it's a pain, even if it's, oh man, I invested so much time and money and effort in this project and it's just not working or it's working a bit, but I have to put in more to make it actually be what I want it to be in my brain. Again, not my favorite lesson to learn, but a really, really useful one. I heard someone say once, fail fast. And that reminds me of this as well as what my friend Serena's dad always says, which is success teaches you nothing. I failed a lot this year in work things and creative things. And I tried a lot. And I think that's the only way I learn. You know, wouldn't it be great if we learned through successes and things going our way? But I, maybe some people do learn with that, but I've learned so much more through heartbreak and sadness and trying and rejection. And I think that's maybe just how the cookie crumbles sometimes. Okay. Next on this list, when you inflate someone in your mind, you can't connect with them. I don't know if any of you have done that, put someone on a pedestal and made someone better than you or less than you subconsciously. I think we're all doing this and categorizing each other and it's uncomfortable and embarrassing, but I think we do it. I do it. And when I do that, I can't connect. I can't really be there. I'm in my ego. And I had many experiences of that this year. That was so challenging for me because I knew that I missed out on an opportunity to connect and be present. And I wasn't really aware that this was happening in the moment, but I was aware that it didn't really feel right. And that's just something I'm working on. You know, we're all just people. We all put on our pants one leg at a time, as my friend Tim says, and I'm just constantly trying to remember that. Okay. The next thing I wrote was nonviolent communication is helpful, but also read the room. <laughs> my friend Isabel taught me about nonviolent communication or NVC, which, you know, Google it, or we can talk about it more it's so incredibly useful, but I think you can't force it. Sometimes my friend said this to me once I was trying to 
have a conversation with someone about how I felt and I could never find the right time to do it and too much time had passed. And I just kind of was like, well, I'm not going to have that conversation. And she said to me, you know, I can barely find the right time to have the conversation with my husband about groceries or like something that needs to change in our household. So, you know, the chances that you have time to have a big conversation like this with someone or the stars align, you both are properly caffeinated and fed and have time. It's just slim. And sometimes these are conversations that you can process on your own or in, in my case, my own therapy and journaling. And and that was the case for this. And then it lifted. I didn't have to have that nonviolent communication conversation for this situation. And sometimes you do. In my case, journaling and in my own therapy and conversations with friends. Okay, the next thing I learned was that ignoring problems doesn't fix them. It just moves them to a different time. I think we can often push things away or or put them on the back burner, but eventually they bubble up to the surface and we have to deal with them, which is, you know, pretty simple but true. Oh, this is a good one. I think a lot of us all relate here of you can feel multiple things at the same time, multiple emotions, even contrasting emotions at the same time. That's definitely something I experienced last year. This one, oh, this one, yikes. You will have to learn the same lessons again and again in different ways. (laughs) That one really hit me like a ton of bricks last year. And I think just the more I've moved through and the more I've learned, the more I realize I'm having to relearn the same things. And that's so uncomfortable because I've been there before and I thought I moved past it, but then, you know, there's another way to move past it. And I think that's just living. It's how we grow. Okay. This one, let me know if any of you relate to this. You are a catastrophic thinker, an extremist, an idealist, and a romantic. Keep working on moderation. (laughs) If you listen to my episode with Marley Grace, she wrote this book, Getting to Center, that really hit me hard. That is, we talk a lot about this in that episode because I have a tendency to feel things way up high and way down low and, you know, very addictive personality. And this is something I'm constantly working on. And, you know, probably will be for the rest of my life, going away from center and coming back. Okay, 2020, learned a lot about boundaries. People think they want you immediately, but they really want you when you're ready, when you're present. And that's something I learned from Dr. Sandra in last week's episode about rest. And I've already found it very helpful in my life. I've been trying to only answer the phone when I want to answer the phone and have space. And only saying yes to things when it feels correct. And sometimes it's really hard to discern that. And that's something I'm working on, but I think it's just an ongoing case-by-case basis, which brings me to the next one, which is you have so much to still work on, but you've worked on so much. I feel like both of those things I noticed this year. I noticed areas that I grew and I noticed areas that I have so much growing to do in. And hopefully I'll 
keep seeing both of those things, you know, every year until the end, because again, you know, why are we here if we're not learning and growing? Okay. This one, I think I talked about this one last week, but my friend Sophie always says this. I'll say it again because it's really been helpful to me, but you have to learn to protect yourself from your own mind. And I think the more self-awareness we have, the more we can know, you know, this is a tendency of mine. How can I pivot? And again, that's an ongoing one. The next thing I wrote was, loneliness won't kill you, but resisting it might. I think there's a warm-up period with ourselves. I often feel when I'm around people a lot, I have to warm up with being around people. And then when I go back to being just with myself, I have to warm up with being with myself. And I actually really like spending time alone, but sometimes it takes me a minute to remember that (laughs) after I've been around people. When you think you never will have a creative idea ever again, you probably will. That's something I wrote in a post-it once and constantly need to remember. (laughs) Maybe you do too. Rejection is hard, but not trying is worse. I experienced so much rejection in 2020 in my work, in my personal life. It was really hard, but what felt even worse was the areas where I didn't try, where I didn't even throw my hat in the ring, where I didn't submit an essay or I didn't write something that felt worse. (laughs) So, you know, keep trying. So that's basically the list, you know, intentional and mindful over quick rejection over not trying. Your mind can tell you lies sometimes. And again, as my friend Sophie says, you've got to protect yourself from your own mind. Hating yourself is still being obsessed with yourself. So for me, when I'm spiraling, I'm saying all this to me, myself, help someone else. The only thing that helps me get out of my head is calling a friend and listening or asking how I can help someone and doing it. So maybe make your list of what you've learned. It's been really nice seeing them on Instagram. Be gentle with yourself. And I love you. I'm so glad you're here. I could recommend a million episodes to go back to and listen to in our archive, but I'll just say for now, we have a podcast starter kit page that we put on Let It Out's website. And I will link that in the show notes and it has all of our episodes in all different categories so you can figure out whatever you want to listen to next if you've been here a while re-listen to maybe and the emoji for this week's episode is the two girls two girls with a heart in between them to represent Kamala and Maya from Kamala and Maya's Big Adventure which is a book that I love so much it's obviously Mina's children's book. I gave it to my friend Val. Maybe go back and listen to that episode. My friend Val Cheney and gave it to her little daughter, Leela. And she says it's her favorite book. So, and also my, my best friend, Carolina, her boys love it as well. So glowing reviews from the children in my life. I hope you have a wonderful week. I will be back next week with a fresh episode. And until then, I hope we can keep in touch on the internet. I'm at Katie Dalebout on Instagram. And of course, we have a Let It Out Instagram. It's at Let It Out with three T's. It's also me. And 
I would love for you to be part of the Let It Out letter. If you want to get a free four-day journaling workshop, enter your email in the show notes and we'll send it to you and you can give it a go. We also have our, what I call Katie's favorite things or Let It Out favorite things. It's kind of a starter pack of things I've recommended on the podcast, videos I love watching on the internet and things I've learned and products I love, skincare, whatever. It's all there. So if you want to get that quick start guide, you can just enter your email. We'll send it to you. So I'll see you there. Also, the show notes can be emailed to you every single week if you don't want to take notes while you're driving or walking. I know I usually listen while I'm on the go. So feel free to sign up for that. It's all the same place to sign up. I'm so glad you're here and I will talk to you in one of those places very soon.